The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome, Giants fans. You are listening to the Valentine's Views Podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about Kyler Murray, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback who has declared for the 2019 NFL Draft. We will also talk to Big Blue View contributor Jeff Roberts, who has been working on a series called A Date to Remember for us at Big Blue View. That series takes us through some of the great moments in Giants history, and we'll be running through the Super Bowl. So we'll talk to Jeff about some of uh, some of his experiences, some of the folks he's gotten to talk to uh, while he's been doing th- those those stories for us. We will also talk a little bit about some of the other things we have going on at Big Blue View, some of what we have coming up. Uh, but first, let's uh, let's begin today's show with some discussion of Kyler Murray. There is, of course, a lot of interest in the Oklahoma quarterback, a lot of curiosity regarding how the NFL will see Murray, who is a slightly built quarterback maybe five foot nine, maybe 190, 195 pounds, maybe less than than that, both in height and weight. We will see at the NFL Combine, you know, if and when Murray gets there, when he gets measured, we'll see what exactly his uh, his height and weight turns out to be. What we do know is that Kyler Murray is smaller it would appear than any modern NFL quarterback that that at least I can think of who has had success. He is smaller than Drew Brees of the New Orleans Saints, who's six foot, maybe two ten. He is smaller than Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks, who I believe is 5'10 or 5'11 and 200, 205 pounds, somewhere in there. 
You know, the curiosity with Kyler Murray is going to be how does the NFL see him? What general manager is going to be willing to take a chance on Kyler Murray? I quite honestly, I've said it, Big Blue View. I said it Tuesday morning in a post at Big Blue View. I think I've said it at other times as well. I do not believe that Giants general manager Dave Gettleman and head coach Pat Shermer are going to hitch their wagon to to Kyler Murray. I don't see the Giants as the landing spot for Murray. Now, that doesn't mean that Murray in the draft doesn't impact the Giants. It gives everyone who might be looking for a quarterback another choice. You know, it adds another talented player to the depth pool. So it adds intrigue. It adds possibilities. In the end, though, I just don't see Kyler Murray as a New York Giant. Dave Gettleman is a guy that's been in the NFL for 30, 35 years, something like that. He's a traditional type of general manager. I, you know, and and even you know Pat Shermer, you know, is a is a guy who he is a good offensive mind. But I don't see Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer as people who will basically stake their reputations and stake their tenures with the Giants on a roll of the dice like Kyler Murray. If and when the Giants do draft a quarterback to replace Eli Manning to be the heir apparent, you know, whatever happens with Eli, you know, over the next few weeks, whatever happens with him going into the 2019 season, I see them going much more you know, for a, a more traditional type of quarterback with more traditional skills. Obviously, the mobility is going to be important, but I simply don't see them going for a guy who is this much of a change from what we traditionally see in the NFL. Yes, we have seen that smaller quarterbacks like Breeze and like Wilson can be successful, but one of the things to remember is that neither of those guys was actually the first choice of the organizations, you know, that that really drafted them. When you go back to Drew Brees, he was drafted by the San Diego Chargers, who then basically replaced him with Philip Rivers. You know, Drew, Drew Brees, you know, went through a couple of stops in the NFL before he found his way to New Orleans and uh, you know, and has had the the marvelous you know, career that he's had. So, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a guy that the Chargers were willing to build around. He went to New Orleans and 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 has had, like we said, he's had tremendous success there. He's proven, you know, that that he is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. If you remember Russell Wilson, I believe Wilson was a third round draft pick by the Seahawks who also at the time I believe had signed I think it was Brady Quinn to be the uh, the quarterback there and and Wilson beat him out it wasn't you know that the Seahawks had drafted and planned to build around Russell Wilson he earned that job I simply can't see you know, a team especially one like the Giants 
you know, going for Murray and building a franchise around him at this point. Obviously, they have a quarterback need. I just don't think that uh, that we will see Murray with the New York Giants. Obviously, Giants fans, that's my opinion. Uh, you know, not based on any inside information. It's just what I think is going to happen. We'll see what happens in a few months. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It won't be the first time. Won't be the last time either. We'll just have to see how it all plays out. Murray's entrance into the draft and whether he actually plays in the NFL instead of playing Major League Baseball is obviously something that that brings a lot of intrigue to this offseason, to the NFL draft process, and we'll just see what happens. All right, Giants fans, with that said, let's let's move on to our second topic of the day. I want to play for you the interview that I did with Big Blue View contributor Jeff Roberts about our Date to Remember series, so let's do that right now. Okay, Giants fans, I'm joined now by Big Blue View contributor Jeff Roberts. Jeff's been working on a series for us that we're calling a date to remember, which has been sort of a, a stroll through some of the the greatest games in Giants history. And uh, Jeff joins us now to uh, tell us what we've, you know, what he's been doing and and what he's got coming up. How you doing, Jeff? Good, Ed. Thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate your your taking a few minutes. So, you know, you and I we started we started this series with just the idea that uh, Giants haven't been in the playoffs. I think what once in in the last hundred or so years, something like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just nice to to look back on some of the better moments in Giants history. Uh, just tell folks a little bit about about what you've been doing with this so far. Well, it's just basically been going back and trying to find some of the best wins, the the huge playoff victories that resonated whether people remember them or whether they predated sort of their days as fans and sort of how those days have built into the, the identity uh, that is Giants football. Um, and, and what's been the interesting thing is that the Giants identity really hasn't changed from the 1950s Frank Gifford teams well into the, you know, the LT era 80s through to 2007 and 2011 when a team built on a good pass rush, a good defense, a smart, uh, accurate quarterback. There, there really has been a theme running through all of these championship teams. And it's interesting, too, for me, because it's it's a dark period right now in, in Giants football. I think one playoff appearance in, what is it, seven years now? You know, but it's a reminder, you know, four Super Bowl titles, it's a reminder that, that as Giants fans, you know, they haven't had it all that bad. Well, it's cyclical because the Giants were a dominant power in the 1950s and then struggled throughout the 60s and 70s until George Young and and Parcells came in um, the late 70s and early 80s. So, yes, uh, it is a dark period, but if you look across town at the Jets, (laughs) it's it's a, a heck of a history. Yeah, it's been a it's been a dark period for a long, long time over there. So uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so so Giants fans haven't you know Giants fans have had it pretty good whether they want to realize that 
you know, at, at this point or not, it's it's been a tough uh, a tough stretch of a few years, and hopefully things are pointing up for the Giants. But uh, it's nice to to kind of you know stroll down memory lane a little bit. And one of the cool things about this series is it's easy to uh, to just go back and and look at the dates and say, oh hey, the Giants did this on such and such date. But you know, you have had the the opportunity to talk to a few people. I think you've had the opportunity at this point to talk to Lawrence Tynes and talk to Carl Banks. You know about some of their memories of, of some of those games. Just uh, you know, if you can share a little bit of uh, of of what you found out talking to those guys, I I think that'd be that'd be great. Will do. I mean. Obviously, everyone knows who Carl Banks is if you're listening to this podcast. What's great about him is he's so intelligent. Uh, you get more than just this happened here, and Parcell said this before the game. Um, one of my favorite uh, dates to remember that I've done so far was Carl basically <laughs> describing how not only did the Giants go out and expect to win, but defensively they expected to break their opponent down. I don't just mean physically. I mean, they wanted their opponents on the offensive line to quit. They wanted to actually spiritually beat them down. And then while play is going on, before every snap, they would compare notes. Like, hey, my blocker, he's given up. Your guy, he's about to give up. And it just showed you not only how good this team was, but how psychologically tough uh, they had been built by Parcells to really go out and just – demolished teams. And the other thing I found interesting about uh, that era was they were playing maybe in the most competitive age in the modern NFL. You had the Montana 49ers, you had the the Dick uh, Buddy Ryan Bears with that great defense. You had the Redskins coached by Joe Gibbs who won numerous Super Bowls at that time period. The Giants weren't feasting on lesser competition. No, they weren't. And then I think, as we said, you had the opportunity to talk to uh, to Lawrence Tynes, who, of course, made that that famous you know 2007 field goal in Green Bay. I'm actually uh, I'm hoping to uh, to be able to to read some of what he had to say about that game. What was great about Lawrence was it sort of came from the opposite perspective of Carl, and, and by that I meant you know we all remember that Lawrence missed two potentially game-winning field goal attempts in the fourth quarter of that uh, 2007 NFC title game. He was more or less the GOAT if things didn't turn out as it were. And he describes, which I'll write about when we get to that anniversary, running onto the field when that Eli Manning pass fell incomplete to bring up fourth down because he didn't want Coughlin to decide to punt. He wasn't going to give them the chance. So, He ran out there and and he describes the scene, which is there's no snapper, there's no holder. He's basically out there alone and staring at the sidelines, basically saying, send them out, send them out, send them out. Um, And, of course, he he makes the 47-yarder, the Giants win in overtime, pull off the huge upset, go on to win the Super Bowl. Um, But just a a great anecdote from a guy who, as we've seen with Cody Parker a couple weeks ago, the line between being a hero and a goat is very, very thin sometimes. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I watched that game with Cody Parkey, and I'm still shaking my head. You know, double doink for crying out loud. How does a field goal hit hit the upright and the crossbar and not go in? 
But what was great was Klein talked about that. I talked to him right after that game, and one of the things he mentioned was he's very conscious of the fact that if he had missed that kick in overtime, he probably never would have played in another NFL game. And he sympathized with Parkey because he understood that sometimes you can do things right and the kick just doesn't go straight, or sometimes the snap isn't perfect, as was the case with the jiggle he missed as the clock expired in regulation in that 2007 title game. Um, things just go off sometimes, and they're out of your control, um, and sometimes they go right. And for times in 07, and then again in the 2011 NFC title game, again in overtime, uh, he came through. And it's really interesting, those two teams, you know, and, and and I'm sure, you know, as we go forward, you'll be talking more in the series about those two teams. What's so interesting is neither of those two teams were really what the, the 80s, you know, Parcells, Carl Banks teams were. They weren't dominant teams that, that were expected to win titles. And, and to me, I mean, that just makes it all that much more special. What's really interesting about that, Ed, is those Giants teams believe they were special. And one of the factors, and Times mentioned this, but uh, I had covered the team in 2011 working for a newspaper at the time, and I found this too. They had such a closeness, a camaraderie on those teams. And I'm not trying to paint a picture that all 53 guys were best friends or anything like that, but there was a, a respect and a support I remember when Osi Manura held out in training camp in 2011, and to a man, the Giants defended him. They weren't going to turn this into a distraction. We, we in the press corps thought it was a distraction, but they didn't. And I think that sort of foreshadowed their run later in the season. As you remember, they were 7-7, seven and seven, two games left. They looked like they were collapsing. Um, and to a man, they still believed, and they proved a lot of people like me wrong. So, you know, we've been going through this series now for, for a few weeks, you know, since, since pretty much right around the holidays. Um, just roughly, you know, how much more do we have coming? Well, we have the, – the best is yet to come, literally, and by that I mean we've got all of the uh, title games, the 86, 90, 07, and 11 title games and Super Bowls coming up. Uh, and actually, those are the best stories. Uh, Carl Banks talking about the – motivational tact that Parcells took uh, before the NFC title game in 90 when the Giants were huge underdogs to the 49ers. Uh, you guys all remember that Phil Simms had broken his foot and they were playing with uh, the backup Jeff Hostetler, excuse me, and no one really expected them to compete. Um, we've got Tynes talking about his whole situation in 2007. We have that incredible run in 2011. Um, just the best moments and I think the moments that many fans remember um, those would be the stories that are still still to come Jeff I don't know I I don't know about everybody else but I'm certainly looking forward to to reading those hey I appreciate your your taking a few minutes I need to pin you down on the question that 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 everybody's asking when it comes to the Giants these days and it it you know it, it goes beyond our our series that we're working on here you know, but but the, the question is, where are you these days on uh, on Eli Manning? Well, I, I think there's two things at play here, and I think they both go in the same direction. And what I mean by that is, again, I was on the beat in 2011. I was not an Eli Manning fan when I started. I thought he was a, a mid-level quarterback at best. 
then I saw what he did. I saw all those fourth-quarter comebacks. I saw throws that no quarterback I've ever seen made consistently in big games. Um, so I've been – I wouldn't call myself a fan at working in the industry, but I was certainly an admirer. Um, I also think that if you're going to turn your franchise over to a quarterback, which undoubtedly you have to do in today's NFL, it has to be the right guy. You you make a mistake and end up with a Tannehill or a Cutler, and you're setting your franchise back 10 years. And I think we can all agree that the quarterback of the future is not on the Giants roster. So me, I, I'm going back to Eli next year, and uh, I'm rolling the dice that you're going to get your quarterback of the future in the next draft. I don't, I don't know if that quarterback is in this draft. So I know it's another year. I know Giants fans don't want to hear another mediocre to poor season. But, again, look across the river. The Jets, for a long period of time, with the exception of a couple of AFC title game runs, were a mediocre 6, 7, 8, 9, 10-win team for the better part of the last two decades. And that's because they still haven't found, until maybe this year, that guy. They, they didn't have a Phil Simms. You know, they didn't have and Eli Manning, and um, I understand that Eli may not be Tom Brady, but when I see a guy that led two teams to the Super Bowl, or two-time Super Bowl MVP, I think that speaks for itself. It's uh, it's hard to throw that uh, out the door pretty much, Jeff. Hey, I appreciate your spending a few minutes with us. Thank you very much. Looking forward to, uh, to reading the rest of these, so uh, we'll let you go, and, uh, and thanks again for, for spending some time with me. Thanks, Ed. Okay, Giants fans, our thanks to Jeff for spending a few minutes with us and for doing that particular series for us. A lot of fun, interesting things have come out of that series. One of the things that I I love to remind people is the last few seasons have not been good for the Giants, but there are four Super Bowl titles in there, five Super Bowl appearances. There's a lot of great games, a lot of great memories in a lot of franchises or a lot of fan bases that would trade places with Giants fans in a heartbeat, considering all of the uh, the great moments that the Giants have had in their franchise history. So uh, things aren't nearly as bad as you may think they are, Giants fans, and times aren't nearly as as dark and and uh, as despondent as you may want to believe, you've had it a lot better than fan bases uh, than many of the fan bases across the NFL. So just just remember that as you're complaining and as you're thinking about how bad things have been in recent years. Okay, Giants fans, just a couple of other things I wanted to mention. We're uh, beginning to work our way through draft profiles at BigBlueView.com. Please check out those. We're still working our way through position-by-position analyses of the 2018 season. We're trying to spin those forward, looking at what might or might not happen or what needs to happen for the Giants in 2019 at those various positions. We hope you're keeping track of those stories and enjoying those as well. We'll be continuing to give you mock drafts, profiles, 
interviews, as much coverage as we can of your Giants going through the uh, the offseason and leading leading up to the draft. This week is the East West Shrine Game. You know, please check out the uh, the podcasts that Dan Pizzuta and Chris Flum have been doing, focusing largely on the NFL draft. All right, Giants fans, we thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye now. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.